0: Today we turn to the last page in this series, The Parables of Jesus, and we turn to arguably the most popular of Jesus's parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And leading up to Jesus speaking this parable, his fame has spread, and he's Growing this reputation among the religious elite as one who has a low regard for the law of God. Did you hear that? He's developing a reputation as one who has a low regard for the law of God. And the reason he's getting this reputation is because he's saying to the most vile of sinners, you are forgiven. He's saying the kingdom of God is here and now. To the worst of the worst, he says, "You, you have entry into paradise. It seems as if he is making eternal life too accessible. And in one way he is, but in another way he's not. Jesus is being misunderstood. And that's kind of the way that it goes with him. As soon as you think you've got him nailed down, He does something to surprise you, and I hope he's going to surprise you today. That is what happens to this expert in the law. So the image is this. The scene is there is a mob approaching Jesus, the mob of religious elite, and they have propped up their expert law knower. And so the law knower approaches him, this lawyer, and he wants to entrap Jesus in front of this crowd to prove that he really does have a low regard for the law. And Jesus, in his Jesus fashion, entraps the lawyer with his own trap. And at this point, if you're a Christian, you're thinking, yeah, get him, Jesus. And if you're doing that, you're in a dangerous position because Jesus never gets them. He always entraps out of love, and he entraps to set free. He entraps to move you from one place to this other place, and he opens up the door to this whole new world where you come out that trap quite different. And I hope that's happening to you today, so let's open up or let's get entrapped by Jesus. Luke 10, 25 through 37, the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The lawyer starts off his interrogation with a question. What shall I do? What should I do to inherit eternal life? And immediately Jesus spots the trap. And he just simply asks another question to the question, which Jesus always does. He says, what is written? And the lawyer says, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. This is a common saying of summarizing the law. How should you live? By loving God and loving others. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. Go and do this. Now, notice Jesus doesn't minimize the law. He doesn't have a low regard for it. He just simply tells him what it is and he doesn't expound on it just yet. He waits. And then the lawyer says, Desiring to justify himself. Now that is a hint. The lawyer, his heart is hooked into this phrase, desiring to justify himself. And he desires to do this. And so the lawyer asks, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him this story, which essentially reveals that the lawyer, in fact, has a low regard for the law. And Jesus has an immensely high regard for the law, so high that is out of reach for this lawyer and is out of reach of the knowledge that the lawyer would have of this law. In other words, he has to go further. Christ is saying to this lawyer, you think you have mastered the law. And that's your problem. You are not meant to master the law. The law is meant to master you. It's meant to read you. It's meant to try you, weigh you, and measure you. Have you let the law weigh you and measure you? As far as I can tell with the law of God, you have two options. You can be bold and courageous enough to look at it. And really, I mean to the heights, let it measure you completely. Or you can adjust the scales a bit. You can, you can change the way it's measuring. you. So you think about those old justice scales where there's, there's like a, one thing on this side, another thing on the other side, and you put something here to see which one weighs more. So if you are sitting in one of these little buckets, and then the law of God is dropped into the other side, its weight and its glory catapult you out of the city of God. So that's one option. The other option is you can adjust the scales a bit. So before there were digital scales, there were these scales that you would have at your home. And if you knew about it, there was a little, little thing that you can turn right underneath it if you found it. And so if you stepped on the scale and you said, oh, that's not right, you just go underneath and you adjust it a bit and you say, there, that's my weight. And this is what we do with the law of God a bit. And we're lessening it or put in another way, we're cheapening it so that we are rich enough with our works to enter into the kingdom. And I want to show you what you've just done. You've lessened the value of heaven by adjusting the scale. Because paradise now lets the likes of you in. And if you can get in, is it really that great? And I know that's a little offensive. But I want you to be bold enough to look at what you're creating. If you adjust the scale. Heaven would not be so special if it just let anybody in. And if we enter in in our current state, well, then it's not perfect anymore because imperfection has entered a place of perfection, which means heaven is no longer heaven. And the lawyer is blaming Jesus for doing this very thing. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Look at you. Look at the law. You're doing it. You're seeking to justify yourself. So Jesus tells this story, essentially asks the lawyer, have you really with 100% of your being loved God fully 100% of the time without fault? And at every moment you are measured, you're doing it. You pass the test all of the time and not just your love for God, but your love for others. 100% of the time. And so Jesus wants us to measure this. And so he tells us this story about the Good Samaritan in order to measure our love for others. But I want to turn to a different story really briefly to look at the way Jesus measures our love for God. There's a, there's a very similar story about a rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler approaches Jesus and he asks the same question. What do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says essentially love God and love others. And, and the rich young ruler says, yes, I did it. And then Jesus looks at him and says, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a little test for you then. This is what it looks like to love God. Take everything you have, all of it, 100% of it, sell it all, take that money, give it away to the poor, and come and follow me just as you are bringing nothing that's what the beginning of loving god looks like that's the beginning of the story of loving god not the end it's just the start of it 100 of the time without hesitation you are ready to take everything that you have sell it all the tithe give 10 percent to god Pugh, that's easy i'm giving my life to you god all the time without hesitation and I'm doing it with joy. That's what it means to begin to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul and strength. Now, if you're like me, you're trying to finagle out of this a bit. And you're thinking, "Oh, let me soften this. He can't mean that for me." And Surely this doesn't make any sense. This isn't wise. If everybody lived like this, the world would fall apart, right? And maybe, perhaps there's some truth to that, but here's what I do know about that story for sure. If you cannot live with the willingness to give everything to God and follow him with nothing, well, then you have not passed the test. And not to just do it once, but to always be willing to do it over and over and over again, without fault, always being measured. You've kept the law perfectly, and that's just the beginning. Now, okay, there's love for God. Now let's turn to love for others in our story. So perfect love for others. Jesus says it looks like this. First, here's what it doesn't look like. There's a priest, and the priest sees this man on the side of the road. He's been robbed. He's been bruised. He's half dead. And, well, let me tell you a little bit of background here. It's pretty genius what Jesus does. So the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. There's a place where there's a man that's so mad at Jesus, he's trying to think of something, this great great insult to give Jesus. And so what he does is he says, You Samaritan? So they hated each other. So Jesus says, I will tell you a story about perfect love. The priest sees a man half dead on the side of the road and the priest passes him by. Now, you hear that story and you say, I would never do something like that. Well, I think you might actually. I wanna, I wanna put you in the priest situation. So this priest, if he would have stopped for this man and this man, one wasn't Jewish, if he was a Samaritan, And if he was, because we don't know, and also he was dead and he touched him, then this priest would have become what's known as being ceremonially unclean. And so the priest now for a week would have to return back to Jerusalem and undergo a strict purification process for a whole week. I mean, he's going in deep for this purification process. And it means he can't eat of the tithe. He can't take any of the tithe. And it would be true also for every single person that's with him. And this Levite in the story is likely in his little uh, priest gang. And so they all are like, no, we got to pass by this guy because this is going to cost way too much for us. And if it turns out this naked man who's potentially dead isn't Jewish, then he would have, by touching him, ruined his royal robes. And those robes were expensive. So he said, I better not stop. And then... If, in fact, he did stop and help this man, and he didn't go through this purification process, there's a little part that says his skull would be crushed if the priest found out he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And even at the—I mean, you're starting to get this—even at the risk, even at the rumor of this man— This priest helping out this man, he would undergo a strict interrogation to make sure he did everything he was supposed to do. It would be frightening. There are so many barriers for him to cross for the sake of love. So you can see actually how you could be just like this priest and just like the Levite. And after the priest passes him by, then the Samaritan comes along. And he sees this naked, potentially Jewish man who has been beaten, robbed, and left for dead. And the Samaritan, in radical generosity, wastes all that he has on this man that would be considered to be his enemy. He binds up the wounds with expensive oil and wine. That's how you kind of healed somebody back then. He puts him up on his own beast of burden, his own animal, carries him into town and puts him in an inn and cares for him for the night. And the next day he wakes up and he says to the innkeeper, here's a bunch of money for him to stay. And if he isn't better by the time the money is all used up, I'm going to return back and pay for whatever else he needs to keep him here. Now, here's why he did that. This man would have been this, this potentially Jewish man would have then been enslaved if he had worked up this big debt in this inn because he's robbed. He has nothing. And that would have been the next step if he couldn't pay. So I want to put this in perspective. Back in the times of the cowboys and the Indians, you can imagine an Indian finding a cowboy on the side of the road with two arrows in his back. And he puts him up on his horse and carries him into the nearest cowboy town. That's a pretty dangerous situation he's in. And that's essentially what the Samaritan has walked into. He's walked into town like an Indian carrying a dead cowboy with arrows in his back. So what Jesus is showing is that love is risky and costly. He put himself in immense danger. And Jesus shows that the question is not who is my neighbor. The question is to who am I to be a neighbor to? And the answer is to anyone in need. It's not just your family. It's not just those in the church. It's not just your neighbor who votes different than you. And it's not just your enemy. It is your enemy, but it goes beyond just meeting their needs. It's being willing to put your life in danger for your enemy. Radical and wasteful generosity. This is not just with your money. This is stuff that's with your life. It's to value the humanity in your enemy and help them in need. And I don't want to soften it for you because Jesus has just trapped this lawyer because the lawyer, the lawyer who never, ever would have stopped for that Samaritan, I promise you he wouldn't have done it. He has just been put in a situation where he, if he was that man on the side of the road, would long for that Samaritan to stop for him and help him. He sees a Samaritan loving him as he would love himself, and he's just been trapped in his own argument. Entry into heaven requires that kind of wasteful love. And not only that, not only loving your enemies and risking your life for your enemies but you teach your kids to do the same thing. See, this is kind of next level stuff. It's like you're trying to work yourself to be able to do that, and you'll love your enemy for the sake of your kids, but to call your kids to do something, to risk their life for someone that is their enemy or your enemy, I mean, this stuff is unheard of. Nobody does this. And if you don't teach your kids to do that very thing, You are violating the law of God. You are willing to live into its commands. The law requires us to do this. That's the measurement. And you can't come off it. You can't soften it because the law will measure you. And if you are found wanting, it catapults you out of the city of God. That is what people are like who deserve entry into the pearly gates. 100% of the time, they're living like this always eager and willing to find their enemy in need and help them. And not just that, they do it without hesitation and there is joy that's bubbling up in them at the opportunity to help their enemy. Those are the people who've passed the test and they wanna do it because they're perfectly pure in heart. If there's any moment in them where they're like, I'm trying to do this and I don't wanna do it, test has failed. And even as I say all of this, I can't help but think I am minimizing the requirements of the law because I can't even do justice to describing what perfect love is because I am that imperfect. We're stuck. So what must we do to be saved as the question goes? Two other lawyers in Christian history asked that same question, Martin Luther and John Calvin. They looked deep into the law of God and decided there is absolutely nothing that they can do to be saved. So they dropped to their knees away in terror and cry out, God, have mercy on me. They cried out for grace. Are you feeling cornered by the law right now? Don't push that feeling away. You have to embrace it. Jesus is giving you a heart wound right now by the law. He's coming at you with the law and he's wounding you with it. And and he's doing this so he can bind up your wounds with his costly oil and wine of love and grace. The lawyer in the parable says the one who had compassion, the Samaritan, is the one who had mercy. Do you know the word that's most used in the New Testament to describe the emotions that Jesus has? It's compassion or it's also pity. What this is getting at is Jesus is, is saying, I'm that good Samaritan. And what the lawyer should do right now is drop to his knees and say, have mercy on me, Lord, I'm a sinner. And we should do the same thing. Because when you look at the law and you look deep into it and you take an honest look at it, not like adjusting the scales, but really you look at it all the way. What you find is that your heart is rotten and it's wormy. And, you know, stop comparing yourself to other people's hearts. Your heart is golden compared to the person next to you because you're seeing all the bad stuff about them. Compare your heart to the requirements of the law. It doesn't look so golden anymore. It looks wormy and rotten and eat out. Like it's, just, it's, it's, it's wrong. There's a way that uh, the book of Jeremiah describes the heart. It's deceitful and sick. Don't, don't trust it because you can't understand it. Christ wounds us with the law. So he can heal our hearts. As soon as you see the impossibility of entering eternal life. As soon as you see yourself beaten by the law. You've been robbed of the riches of heaven. And you are there naked wearing only the darkness of your sin. It's in that moment that the hand of Christ comes upon you. And he lifts you up out of that road of despair. Don't see him as the enemy who wounded you, though he did wound you. In a lot of ways, Christ has wounded you. I got to just tell you this and be honest with you, because look, here's the deal. Our sin has caused us to be banished from Eden. That is a wound that will last until he fixes all things but he will fix all things and that's our perspective as we understand that and the law is going to wound you because your inability to keep it automatically even just naturally you know you you lie enough it's going to catch up to you so these this breaking of the law it's going to constantly be wounding you in so many different ways and god is disciplining you and discipline hurts it's going to feel like wounds But he's bringing you to this place where you'll finally drop to your knees and ask for grace. And to be honest with you, the difficult truth is that I've never seen anyone come to faith as an adult without going through something difficult. And when you're going through something difficult, you you have two options. You can blame God. Reject him for the difficulties he has put you through and the high expectations he's placed upon you. Or you could see the wounds as the path to paradise. He gets to you by your wounds and he gets in you through the cracks. And the most explosive growth I've seen in Christians is when they walk through difficulties, and they think they're done. And then Christ lifts them up. I mean, he like entraps them with the law all over again. And he puts them in this cage, and then he takes them to this whole new country in a way. And he opens up this door to this green meadow and these beautiful pastures. And there, this Christian meets Christ all over again. And they've been changed into something quite different. If you're angry at God, if you're crying out like that at Him, and you're ready to write Him off and reject Him for doing this to you, and I mean, you need to look at the facts. God is in control. He's sovereign over all things. You can blame Him for this, or... You can see his wisdom in that somehow he will use your difficulties to change you into something altogether different than what you are right now. You can see that while you were an enemy to him, he came for you and he fought while you were kicking and screaming against him. While you drew your sword against him, he came in love. And he saw you on the road to despair and he was the good Samaritan. He will be the only one that will find you on that road. Do not look to your spouse for this. Do not look to some lover in the future to to do this. Do not look for your kids to do this. They will not be this to you. There is only one who stops on that road, only one. And if anyone does stop on that road for you that is not Christ, it is simply because they have Christ in them. And they have somehow in that moment seen a picture of their Savior who loved them while they were an enemy, and they looked at you and had pity on you and helped you. So before you write him off, look at his costly love. Do you know when he carried the cross, it's as if he was carrying you? Because the cross represents your sin. It represents your death. And so when he wore it upon himself, he was carrying you. And when he was stapled to the cross, he was stapled right in, right in to your sin and death. Don't worry about the baby crying. This is like a good picture of what was happening at the crucifixion. Take it all in. The weeping, the crying, all the pain. In many ways, you were the instrument of his death. We should be crying like the babies are doing right now. He was perfectly righteous, but on the cross, he was robbed of his righteousness. Treated like an enemy of the father. Do you know when Jesus cries out on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's like, what is happening there? I will tell you. In that moment, the wrath, that the father has for our inability to love God and love others, our, the wrath that the father has for that is thrown down upon his son like fire. The fiery wrath of God that somehow burns us up without burning us alive is directed away from us to our Savior. By his wounds, we are healed, as the saying goes. Our wounds, his wounds are our oil and wine. And he walked not on the road to Jericho, but he walked the road to hell. And there he found us on that road of despair, and he lifted us up, and he carried us through the torrents of hell. He carried us through the waters of death, and he made a home for us with the cost of his life. His love is stronger than death and his will to save you is fiercer than any grave. And this good Samaritan of ours, he now rules in the heavens upon his throne and awaits the day that he will return and then transform our world into a world of perfect love. A world where all of us get to become like this good Samaritan. We will see him and we will become like him. On that day. And he's beginning to do it to you now. And I don't know if you feel it, but it's happening. In fact, you might not feel it. In fact, it might feel like the opposite is happening. Because do you know why? Because the goodness of his perfect love now dwells in you and it sees the, the, your heart and it goes, ew. And you go, oh, I'm worse than I was. No, he's changing you. He's changing you. You know what he's doing? He's cornering you with his law so that you will receive his grace. Do you feel the walls closing in? The law is surrounding you, and it will not relent. The law is forcing you to make your move, and the law will not pull back any punches. The law is swift and quick. And the law is going to feel like your enemy. The standard will feel too great for you. If you really look at it. Until. You drop to your knees and give up. And cry out Jesus save me. And then like a swift sunrise, like a passing shadow. He transports you out of that fierce fighting ring and into this beautiful meadow of paradise. And he's beginning to do it to you now. Embrace him and stop fighting him. He's not your enemy. He loves you perfectly, just like the Samaritan. The goal of the law is love. And when love faces you and you've got a wormy heart, it will look like your enemy. It will look to condemn you because it does. You need a savior. That's the only way. Do you remember the law, this process that the priest, this purification process he had to enter into? He was not willing to meet the demands of the law in order to fulfill love for for his neighbor. If the law... Limits your ability to love someone, then you are either misunderstanding that law or you are unwilling, like that priest, to go to the lengths that the law requires you to go in order to love. I'm going to tell you something. You will not ever make moves towards love until you understand He is not your enemy, but your Savior. embrace him because here's what happens his spirit then begins to dwell in you his spirit who is god how do you describe him what's the word to describe god god is love love perfect and pure now dwells in you it's dwelling in your wormy heart and it's changing your wormy heart even now making you into something altogether different and that means now you have the power to love like him And then the law no longer becomes your enemy. In a lot of ways, the law then sets you free because you become like a fish who dives into water, finally in the place where you've been meant to be, obeying the rules of the water because you're a fish and that's what you're meant to do. That's what the law is like. It's like an ocean to a fish to us. But you'll never know it. The law will drown you and suffocate you until you've been set free. You can't breathe under the water. Well, and you have a savior, you can. He lifts you up out of the watery death. The law, you know what it does? It drives you to him. And then when you're with him, it drives you back out with him, though, towards the fulfillment of love, which is the law perfectly kept. And either way, hear this. The love that God Christ has for you lives in you, so now you can love your enemy. And when that happens, when you have gone to that degree of love, when your spouse is being annoying, loving them is much easier if you can love your enemy. Forgiveness from that person who did wrong to you, well, if you can forgive your enemy, you can forgive someone you love. Loving your children as they're yelling at you and cursing at you and making your house a mess, no big deal. When your friend is jealous of you, when your coworker is gossiping about you, when your enemy is right up in your face, love them. The perfect man, the perfect man doesn't need the law to read him or weigh him because he is the law. He is a walking, talking version of the law. He's the telos of the law, the goal of the law, which is love, perfect love. And one day, one day when you cross the chasm into paradise, you will be changed in an instant and you will become like Christ, the perfect good Samaritan, because you will see him and know him as he is and you will become like him. Until that day, love with all of your might. Take risks for love. Radically waste for love. And that will be a life that is not wasted. That will be the life of a good Samaritan. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would keep us. Keep us under the shadow of your wings. And there, under your wings, I pray you would hold us, you would change us, you would make us into something new, and that you would deposit love deep into the halls of our heart. Let your love sing there. Let your love echo there. Let your love reverberate there within us so it might come out of us. And, God, I pray for anybody here, who has for the first time looked deep into what the law of God does to us and has felt weighed and measured, and I pray that they, God, would make a move to your grace. And God, I pray for for the Christian here who has been beat and bruised up by the law. God, I pray you would entrap them Whisper sweet sounds of forgiveness and then open up the door to a world where they now have the power to live as they long to live. God, help us become new people. Help us become good Samaritans to the people around us, those in need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.